Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and little fella with no respect for the chain of command, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and truck driving magic mama, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Two to Go, the 21st episode of season six. Two to Go aired on May 21st, 2002, and was written by Douglas Petrie and directed by Bill L. Norton. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll check every hole in our sad little bodies for transmitters that don't exist. Please, this is your pitch? You hate it here as much as I do. Let's go on patrol. In Two to Go, Buffy, Xander, and Anya run through the forest trying to save Jonathan and Andrew from Willow. Anya is able to teleport using her new demon powers, and Buffy can run really fast, but Xander's left behind with the car that Willow destroyed. At the jail, Andrew is desperately trying to believe that this is a test and that Warren is coming for them. Well, him. If he can just figure it out. Jonathan tries to convince him that his outrageous little conspiracy theory is in no way aligned with actual reality, and as gross as it is, I feel you, Jonathan. And then Anya pops into the cells, gives them the rundown, and flags a cop. Something's coming. Something bad. The cop doesn't move fast enough, and Willow arrives, pulling brick by brick out of the wall of their cell while everyone panics. Cops try to stop her, but she stops them and continues to tear a hole in the wall, brick by brick. Buffy arrives and finds a back way into the jailhouse, busting through an alley door. Willow's hole in the wall is big enough now, and she floats up to the cell, making her entrance, only to find the cell empty, with bars that have been pried apart. Buffy. Out on the street, Buffy is running with Jonathan and Andrew as Willow lets out a harrowing screech of fury and grief. That's not good. Xander shows up driving a stolen police car, and they all get in. Jonathan and Andrew panic as Buffy tries to decide where to go, but they've run out of time as they look behind them and see a Mack truck running up on them with a dark figure standing on the top of the truck, controlling it. Jesus! What was that? Just Willow. Xander hits the gas, but the truck is faster, even with the driver struggling to regain control. It hits the back of the car a few times, but then Willow falters and Jonathan reports that she's draining out. They manage to get away, their back fender making sparks on the ground as they race off. At Clem's, Dawn is anxious and not even Clem's chip taste testing can distract her from her worry. She asks Clem to help her with something that requires a demon, and he gets worried. She says Spike would have helped her, and he reminds her, and us, that Spike is gone. Cue Spike in the Cave of Wonders as the demon tells him that in order to get what he wants, he must pass the test and fight a well-muscled dude who is easily twice his size. Here we are now. Out in the dark alley somewhere, Dawn is using Clem as a rack-finding system, and Clem is not sure about this, but he's doing it anyway, because Dawn. And because Clem. At the magic box, the remaining Avengers assemble and assess the situation. Bad news, all the magic books are gone. Good news, there's an anti-magic book. Bad news, it's in an ancient language Anya can't read. Jonathan offers to help since they're saving him and everything, and Buffy makes a distinction for him. I just thought, you know, as long as you're protecting us, the least I could do is... I'm not protecting you, Jonathan. None of us are. We're doing this for Willow. Buffy figures out that if Willow is running low on magic, she's going to Rax. And Buffy's right. Willow shows up and turns the tables on Rack, taking a little tour. 
Clem finds Rax and helps Dong get in, and she leaves him in the waiting room while she goes in to find Rack dead and Willow all black-eyed and evil. She tries to talk to Willow, but Willow mocks her, making fun of Dawn for whining all the time. She offers to send Dawn back to being a mystical key, and just as she's about to do the one thing she can never come back from... I think you need to get away from her. At the magic box, Xander and Anya bicker while she tries to translate the anti-magic spells. She complains that she can't hurt him because it's against the rules, and he says that watching her have sex with Spike was all the vengeance she'll ever need. That wasn't vengeance. It was solace. At Rax, Willow turns her attention to Buffy, snarling as Buffy tries to talk her down from what she's trying to do. But Willow won't allow Buffy, who is happier dead than she is now, to try to sell Willow on how good the world is. Willow taunts Buffy, making fun of her, and while she talks, she teleports all three of them into the magic box. Buffy and Dawn struggle to recover from the teleport lag as Willow turns her attention to the two to go. You boys like magic, don't you? Abracadabra. Willow sends lightning bolts out of her fingertips, but they hit a shield in front of Andrew and Jonathan, causing no damage. Behind a bookcase, Anya frantically reads the anti-magic spell from the book. Willow is surprised at the effectiveness of the anti-magic and tries again. She pulls magic from the air. Now I'm pretty sure I'm strong enough to beat you to death. Andrew and Jonathan pull swords from the wall, but Buffy steps in and gets Willow's attention. She and Willow fight, and Xander grabs Dawn, Jonathan, and Andrew, leading them out the back door. He tries to get Anya to go with them, but... I can't. I, I have to stay here to keep the spell going on, Willow. No, but... Go! Do something right! In the alleyway, Andrew takes advantage of the confusion to put a sword to Xander's neck so he and Jonathan can go free. Jonathan then puts a sword to Andrew's neck, telling him no. When this is over, they're going to do their time and pay for what they've done. In the magic box, Willow discovers Anya reading from the anti-magic book and knocks her out. She turns her attention back to Buffy, saying that she understands the Slayer thing now. It's not about violence, it's about power. And nothing on Earth has the power to stop her now. I'd like to test that theory. All right, Noelle, so here we are at two to go, finishing up season six, which has been an adventure. Oh, yes. Um, how are you feeling about this episode? Um, all right. I have some thoughts on this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, powerfulest magicist Willow is incredible and punishing her for her power is homophobic. So if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, have right. I have complicated feelings about this episode. How about that? I can absolutely understand your complicated feelings and I will add to your complicated feelings because I do too. Um, like overall, I've never really liked this episode and I think because it feels like it's about Willow versus Jonathan and Andrew and I just don't care enough about Jonathan and Andrew. Um, but when I think of it as Willow wrestling with grief and Anya finally being Anya and Dawn being a fucking badass and Clem being so sweet, like I like it more. So it's, it's, there are individual parts of this that I actually really, really enjoy, but overall this whole arc, you know, this whole dark Willow arc, um, has always been a little bit difficult for me and I've never been able to really like place my finger on exactly what it is that makes it difficult. Every time I watch it, I get a little bit closer for like why it doesn't sit well with me. Um, but you've got some ideas on this that I think are really I interesting. Mean, I don't know why it doesn't sit well with you. I know why it doesn't <laughs> sit well with me. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So 
we get a really interesting scene in this episode. Mm-hmm. We get I actually I love the scene overall. I love what it tries to do. And I'm talking about the scene with Willow, Dawn, and Buffy yeah. at Rax. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, I mean, we bring back a bunch of stuff that's happened this season, including this idea of Willow as a junkie, as she mm-hmm. says herself. Yeah. And also the idea that Willow's magical addiction, quote unquote, is that it it, stem, it is an, in response to her self-hate. Mm-hmm. That she she has this little rap about junior high and high school and who she was and how awful that was. Mm-hmm. So we get Willow Willow not liking Willow is kind of the mm-hmm. textual understanding of why she develops mm-hmm. this magical addiction. And we hear, you know, we hear from Willow a couple times this season that that mm-hmm. magic is her escape from the person that she was in junior high and high school who was picked on. Um, and her her self-hate is presented as the villain, I think, more than her magic is, even though that's what makes her scary. Mm-hmm. The, it's, the, it's the self-hate. It's the, oh, if Willow could just love Willow. Right. But here's the thing about that self-hate for me. Mm-hmm. I think that self-hate comes from other people telling Willow who she, quote unquote, really is. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit last week or maybe a lot of it last week about how Willow's darkness, her badness is really sadness and grief. Well, Willow found mm-hmm. something in magic and someone in Tara who made her feel good. So this grief is a queer femme grief that no one around her can really understand because her friends, Buffy and Xander, are all about the before Willow, who Willow was before. Well, the Willow that they're talking about wasn't magical and she also wasn't gay. Mm-hmm. Willow's magic cannot be separated from Willow's queerness. And I know I've tried to separate them before on this podcast, but I think I was wrong about that. Mm-hmm. I'm taking that back. Okay. So when everyone comes at her with the magic is destroying you, as a lesbian, <laughs> I think, who the hell are you to tell Willow who Willow is? Mm-hmm. So in this scene at Rax, Willow says, the only thing I had going for me were the moments when Tara would look at me and I was wonderful. And what she's talking about is being seen and loved as a queer person. Mm-hmm. Tara was the only one who really appreciated Willow's queerness and also the only one who truly understood magic. Everyone is so busy trying to get Willow back that no one is thinking about Tara except for Dawn. Right. And I will get in a little in in a short while to Dawn <laughs> and Dawn's relationship yeah. with Willow in this scene. But what I so desperately wish is that we had had a response to Willow saying that Tara will never look at her again that was more in line with 
Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Tell me about her. Because everyone oh, needs God. that. Everyone who has lost yeah. someone they love oh, yeah. needs that space. And queer people really super need it. Okay. All of this is lighting up my brain like crazy. I love when you do that. Because <laughs> um, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, it's helping me kind of uh, isolate what it is that bothers me about this arc with Willow. And you're right. Like in the beginning, in season four, right, magic was basically the metaphor for queer sex with Tara, right? Yeah. So that was our metaphor. And then suddenly magic became drugs. Right. And it was no. So they've shifted back and forth. So I think that while you take it back, absolutely, I think that you have a right to do that. But I also don't think that you were necessarily wrong. I think that the text is telling you two things. Right. And so you have to choose which one you're going to believe. Right. Is the magic, you know, this this queer sex metaphor, this this power of owning herself and allowing herself to be queer or is it drugs? And I don't think that the text does both at once. I think that they shift it on you in the background when you're not looking, which makes it always feel somewhat off for me. Well, they try to. I mean, they Mm -hmm. try to shift it, but I think that it's very difficult. I mean, I... In the in the context of a world, a cis heteropatriarchal world, I think Mm -hmm. that making that shift doesn't... is not effective. Whether they try Mm -hmm. to do it or not, I don't think you can do it. Mm-hmm. effectively um i mean certainly without it without it really really feeling i mean deeply homophobic right yeah. like it was mm-hmm. all you know yeah. i <laughs> i pinged my girlfriend on this this morning um <laughs> because i was like i'm like really in my gay feelings right now and um i need you to you know like mm-hmm. check check my my gay self on this before i wreck my gay self and <laughs> She was like, no, like you're, you're, you know, she co-signed. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also this, it's, it feels homophobic. It feels mm-hmm. really fo- fucking homophobic. And something that, something that my girlfriend said was, it's like, it's all well and good if you're just holding hands you know, mm-hmm. we're like magically holding hands and there's like pretty twinkle lights around. But then when like somebody is actually going down on someone else, well, now we have to nip that in the bud. Like now it's yeah. like you've gone too far mm-hmm. and you must be punished and we have to reroute this magic as addiction and magic. You know, I mean, there's magical <sighs> abuse in the relationship, yeah. too. And yeah. it's like, no, there really is. That feels, I mean, as much as I love seeing a complex relationship mm-hmm. where trust is broken and then, you know, regained, even if you do decide mm-hmm. to skip to the kissing for a little while. I mean, I love, I love seeing that. But the, the fact that all of that weight gets piled on a queer yeah. femme relationship fucking sucks. And it really feels homophobic to take mm-hmm. what was this like beautiful, affirming love story and twist it into it's drugs. It'll destroy you. You're not who you really are. Right. You don't know yourself. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested in uh, one of the things that, that what you're saying is making me think of is uh, Chimimanda Ngozi Adichie did a TED talk called the, uh, it was about the, um, like the power of the, the one story or the trouble with the one story, right? Mm. That if, if you have, cause uh, you know, as a heterosexual, um, <laughs> I get I get loads of stories in a wide yeah. range about heterosexual, you know, love and sex and everything. And uh, they don't have to kill me off because I'm straight all the time. Right. They don't have to jail me because they don't have to punish me for being straight. I don't get punished for being straight because I have a million different stories about straight people and they have a wide range. But it is because they're straight you know, that if something bad happens to a straight person, it's not the only story that I have. And it's not because they're straight. It's that not they're because punished. they're straight. Exactly. Yeah. It's tricky because there is a long history in film and television of turning turning queer characters into villains or vice mm -hmm. versa, right? Turning villains into queer characters. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so not the first person or even the best person, not by far, to speak on this. But I mean... The queer coding of villains is a mm -hmm. is a long history, certainly in American um, yep. uh, film and television. So mm -hmm. it's it is not it does not feel like a coincidence that mm -hmm. we have we end that we end this episode with two extraordinarily powerful young women extraordinarily powerful supernaturally powerful and one of them is allowed to be powerful and one of them is not and yeah. the one who is not is queer mm -hmm. and that queerness has been spun into darkness and harm it's very yeah. very difficult to separate these things out mm -hmm. um i think no, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it just feels like a big a big mess, and I think that like now that you're talking about that shifting metaphor, right? Yeah, that that's kind of something that I think has um, is is what I really I like for when I know what something is to have it be that thing. Yeah. You know, when you shift to the nature of the reality on it. Um, that always, that has always thrown me off with the Willow storyline, but especially with this, you know, this idea that it's not just a shifting metaphor, but it's also shifting what was kind of, I mean, the magic is queer sex was kind of beautiful in the beginning, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, think that's that a really fantastic nice and decision. I think that, mm -hmm. that, that magic as queer sex and, and particular, particularly these two Mm -hmm. as being authentically magical together like that was what brought willow and tara together right was mm -hmm. that yeah willow was really magic whatever that means and tara was really magic whatever that mm -hmm. means um so they were they were together because they had this they had this thing in common but they also had this understanding Mm -hmm. And this ability to exist together in a way that the people around them didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And taking I I I like the 
I like the thought behind taking Tara's death and using that to take Willow to a really, really dark and difficult place. But I like that in isolation more than I like it in execution. I think it's a compelling story. But if we were not always killing off queer characters or or using like dead women to motivate people (laughs) to like Virginia, it's I mean, it's exhausting for one. It's and it's such an unfortunate turn for this couple in so Mm -hmm. many ways. Um, Yeah. And then they don't resolve it the way that, you know, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I'll give you all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had, all right, you had to do what you had to do. Sure. Whatever. Then they have this fantastic opportunity with Dawn that they don't take. And I'm just, no, like I, (laughs) I'm just out at that point. I just can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it. Let's go ahead and skip ahead. Let's talk yeah. about that. You yeah, talk yeah about absolutely. Dawn? Okay. I think it's all related. Yeah, let's, okay. it's part so of that same conversation. It is. I mean, it is part of this conversation because I so desperately want that confrontation at Rax between Dawn and Willow to have gone differently. Mm-hmm. Because Dawn's whole thing all season long has been, I'm here, I love you, I want to help, right? With Mm -hmm. everybody. She wants to be part of the group. She wants to be with her people. She truly believes she's strong enough to help. And I want her to be right about that. Mm -hmm. I'm totally fine with the idea that, you know, with Willow being as powerful as she is, that maybe Dawn is in over her head. Like, I don't need Dawn to take on, you know, Magical Willow and win. But I would love to have seen her do more than cower, especially because this this darkness, quote unquote, in Willow is about grief. And Dawn loved Tara. I mean, she says, I miss Tara, too. And we see the potential for the Willow-Dawn relationship to really be something more in this scene. Dawn was the biggest cheerleader for the Tara and Willow relationship from beginning to end. I mean, I'll go watch TV in the basement really loud. (laughs) You know, she's... (laughs) Dawn is more delighted by... I mean, she loves Willow and she loves Tara, but she is more delighted by them as a couple. Mm -hmm. She loves them together more than anybody else. They're her parents. And, you know, let's not forget, Dawn sat with Tara. Yeah. For an entire afternoon so yeah. that Tara wouldn't be alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Dawn, other than other than Willow and Tara for each other, Dawn mm-hmm. really seems like the only one who sees the the beauty of this queer relationship to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it feels right that Dawn would be the one to confront Willow with the real driving force of her anger. Mm-hmm. It would, you know, if if somebody is going to bring to Willow this idea that, you know, what you're feeling is grief and sorrow and heartbreak and it is devastating, that should yeah. be Dawn. Yeah. It should be Dawn. And I would love to see Willow threaten to turn Dawn back into a ball of energy and have Dawn not back down. Mm-hmm. 
If Dawn had said, I love Tara and I love you and you can turn me back into a ball of energy if you want to, but I'm not leaving you. Like if Dawn had stayed with Willow or indicated. The way she stayed with Tara. Exactly. If she had indicated to Willow, I'm not, you know, I okay, like you're going to hurt me. Like I can't stop you from hurting me if that's what Mm -hmm. you decide you're going to do. But I can decide to stay here with you. Um, That would have been so much more compelling yeah. Especially since the last time Willow and Dawn were at Rax, it ended with Willow almost killing Dawn in a magical drunk driving car wreck. After which Dawn slapped Willow across the face. Yep. Like Dawn yeah. is not, you know, she's no shrinking violet. Yeah. She went to Rax to find yes! Willow. On like purpose. what did she think was going to happen? So then the second she finds Willow... You know, she kind of shrinks back down. And I think that we make Dawn weak so that Buffy can appear stronger when she comes in to rescue. I think so, too. I mm-hmm. think so, too. And as much as I don't like the magical addiction storyline, a nice side effect of a confrontation between Dawn and Willow in this moment would have been that it would work into a narrative about addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, we would have needed we would have needed a little bit more in the space of everyone kind of rumbling with, OK, can we trust Willow? Like earlier mm-hmm. in the season as she's you know moving right. through her recovery, you know, can we trust Willow and Willow rumbling with like, can I trust myself mm-hmm. if we re- you know, if we really want to do like an addiction and recovery kind of story. But in the end, we would have come around to. A narrative that says a person can do something scary and dangerous, can put somebody else, you know, can put somebody that they love in harm's way and still be loved and forgiven. Mm -hmm. And that way, when scary, dangerous Willow shows up a second time, it gives us a firmer foundation to stand on in terms of prioritizing our relationship with this person over everything else. Yeah. Because ultimately, I think that's the story that they're trying to tell, right? Our friend Willow is more important than any harm she's caused, Mm -hmm. which is a great message, especially for folks who struggle with mental health or maladaptive coping mechanisms. Like, we need those stories, too. (laughs) But I just I want it to be much more layered. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when Willow comes after Dawn with like, did you cry? And making fun of Dawn for crying. Like, it's so rough, but it also... I mean, it, it it speaks to where she is in grief, but then Dawn just backs down and mm-hmm. it I would have liked for it to have been just a like a stronger narrative and just a stronger moment for Dawn, because all of the signs point to Dawn can do this. Dawn is capable yeah. of doing this and she wants to be there for her people. So to have her back down when when Willow mocks her is just I don't know. It's not it's not good payoff for everything. I don't like no, it. No, well she's she's being damseled. Right. Yeah. You know, we're using Dawn as a damsel for Buffy to come after Willow, you know? Yeah. Instead of attending to all of these things that you mentioned, which would have made this uh so much more 
you know, like of, of an interesting narrative talking about the things that we want. We go to these dark places with characters so that we can walk them through those dark places. Right. Mm-hmm. And right now we're playing the big bad at the end of the season is going to destroy the world thing so that we can center on Buffy. But we also don't center Buffy because Buffy's depressed and we don't know how to deal with her being depressed. So we're just making her a flat cardboard cop, you know, character in this, um, you know, which is kind of the problem that I have with with Buffy in this episode. But before we move on to that, um, I kind of had, uh, you know, some questions that I was thinking while you were talking, because you were talking about like the, you know, the I mean, let's not the the litter of of, you know, queer and female and black and brown bodies that we see in our storytelling in general, you know, and which we're seeing again here. I can't say that Tara was fridged because generally what a fridging is, is a, a character that is just her only characteristic is woman. And then right. we kill her so that we can motivate a male story, which is not exactly what we did with Tara. We did kill our gaze with Tara. We are punishing Willow in this way, you know, sort of not necessarily punishing her for being queer, but somehow associating that that queerness is the source of what's destroying her, right? Even mm-hmm. though it was queer love mm-hmm. that destroys her, you know, instead of looking at it as, I mean, I think that, uh, uh, and, and, you know, correct me on this cause I'm just thinking about this now, but like there's, there's normalizing, you know, narratives that have queer people in them. You know, like, and that that we've got queer people were just they just happen to be that and we're not putting that weight on everything that they are, um, that that identity isn't everything that that character is in those stories. And here we have so much of that ever since, you know, Willow came out like that. The fact that she's queer has always been kind of like this top notch identity, you know, for mm-hmm. for all the things that Willow is. Um and so when we have this danger of the the single story, right, that we don't have enough stories so that when we have this story with, you know, headlining a, a queer person, um, you know, we end up in this space where we're doing these terrible things to them. And, you know, it would be nice to just see a queer person like, you know, be allowed to live and be happy sometimes, although characters being allowed to live and be happy is always a challenge in fiction in general because we want to walk through these things with them but i feel like we're walking through this about willow rather than with willow does that make sense Mm -hmm. oh yeah you know absolutely well and we i mean we get some of that textually too like we hear a lot about what will happen to willow if Mm -hmm. things continue the way that they're going i mean we open the episode with buffy and xander being so sure that like she's killed and now that she's killed she's gonna kill again because that's how killing works and <laughs> don't come back and i'm like whoa wait a second like mm-hmm. what happened with you know like it's it's a little bit of like ideological whiplash mm-hmm. for me in that yeah. way <laughs> um there's so well, much right. there's so much projected onto willow and like what this means in terms of everyone else everyone else is telling willow what this means and who she is i mean last time i don't remember if it's buffy or xander who says you know you're using magic if you basically if you keep going you're not you know you can't come back from this and willow flat out says i'm not coming back Mm -hmm. which i kind of love like, uh, well, I do when she's going to kill Dawn. That's the line. Right. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, she can, she can, she killed Warren. She can go ahead and kill Jonathan and Andrew. The idea that I'm protecting you because it's going to destroy Willow is like, Willow's already killed Warren. Jonathan and Andrew don't matter, but Dawn does like killing Dawn. And when she's threatening to kill Dawn, I think that is Willow saying, I don't want to come back. Yeah. Well, she's, and it's interesting because she's not threatening to kill Dawn per se. She's going to turn her back to what she was before, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the threat that Willow feels from everyone coming after her, Mm -hmm. you know, about like, well, the magic's going to destroy you. You have to stop using magic. You have to go back to what you were before. Right. So there's mm-hmm. that, you know, it's there's that that hurt people, hurt people mm-hmm. idea of, you know, Willow feels this this pressure from everyone to go back to what you were before, which I've already talked about in terms of like mm-hmm. queerness, like go back to being a sidekick, go back to being less powerful, go back to being not so openly gay, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, I mean, back to where you were before feels adjacent to the they're dead, get over it. Like you yeah. need to get over the grief as though you could get over the death of someone you love. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'm I'm reading a lot into this, but there's that that threat against Dawn feels um hollow to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I like I like I think it's Jonathan's observation when they're all in the car together and he says something like she or maybe it's Andrew who says she knows you're in here too. Like Jonathan mm-hmm. and Andrew have this idea that Willow is coming after them, but like won't come after her friends. And of course, we understand, we the audience mm-hmm. understand that, you know, the rules have changed. Willow absolutely will hurt anybody yeah. who stands yes. in her way at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, interesting and problematic turn mm-hmm. there as well. But I I don't know. I'm fascinated that that the threat against Dawn is you're not real, essentially. She uses yeah. that same vulnerability that mm-hmm. Dawn was grappling with against Dawn and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn you back. You don't remember who you were before. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna turn you back. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's a real, there's a real deep dive queer read of this whole thing. <laughs> that- <laughs> just- I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think that that's great. I also find it really interesting that, um, you know, listening to your rewrite of this interaction, the way that it could have gone, the way that probably it should have gone, had Dawn been reaching Willow with, tell me about Tara, let me talk about Tara, this is what I love about Tara, remember the pancakes, you know, the Mm -hmm. funny shaped pancakes she would make and all this kind of stuff, Um, humanizing Tara and using Tara's humanity to access Willow's humanity to bring it back. And then if Willow had responded with that threat then, then you would see that that was the source of everything, that that was what this is about more than 
you know, we're just so glad to be able to put Allison Hannigan in leather and, and make her, you know, beat the shit out of people, you know, yeah. which is also fun. Which is I mean, great. I'm not going to lie. She looks it's phenomenal. Fun to see Allison Hannigan. She, she does. looks phenomenal yes. as like all mm-hmm. hopped up on magic. When we get yeah. that reveal of her, when she has drained Rack and hung him upside down from his ceiling and we whip around and she's all, mm-hmm. you know, not only does she have the full eye contacts, but she's got like the black yeah. face veins and she looks both like sort of vampire-ish, mm-hmm. but also dead. It's great. I love oh my it. God. I love it's to so see good. it. It's a great And that's effect. wonderful. It's wonderful to see that. So there are things like I understand the reasons why some of these choices were being made, but I kind of wish, God, I wish that the Dawn scene had gone the way that you have kind of reimagined it. I think that that would be so great. Um, but one of the things also that's really interesting is that while she's threatening Dawn, you know, when Anya is actively thwarting her and yep. as a woman who does not like to be thwarted, um, <laughs> I know how that can feel. She just knocks her out. You know, she just stops her from from doing the thing and then goes back to focus on Buffy instead of killing Anya. Now, I realize that, of course, Anya, this is extra textual, is protected by almost as much delight armor as Spike has. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, why doesn't she just kill Anya? You know, but she doesn't make that choice there. I love. I I don't know exactly why she doesn't kill Anya, but I love it when Anya looks at her. Is it's revealed? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Willow is knocked back, sees Anya reading the counter yep. spell, and Anya just keeps reading and is just making eye contact with Willow. Like I'm not gonna She's fucking so stop badass. reading this spell. It's mm-hmm. so good. It's so good, and it's almost. I don't know. There's something there. I want more between Willow and Anya. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this last time, too, that there's so much potential there for a kind of understanding that and and a I don't know of of characters who are going to see each other and like appreciate each other's strengths. I think there's potential for Willow and Mm -hmm. Anya. And we don't get that. Um, I love Willow and Anya. I mean, I love them all the way through. I love them from Doppelgangland when Willow comes in and helps Anya with her spell. We're going to see that again in same time, same place where Anya helps Willow with her spell. Yeah. Um, and, and there's some great, it did get kind of sexy, didn't it? Okay, now that's from uh, same time, same place. Um, and uh, if you want to hear me talk about that now, you go to Slayer Fest 98 because I just talked about that episode with them a couple of weeks ago. But I believe God, these chicken feet it. are mine. <laughs> Oh, my God. I love it all so, so much. I love Anya and Willow. They've got that, you know, we've had them at odds. We had them in Triangle where they resolved kind of this conflict that they had um, and sort of came to endure each other, you know, civilly um, finally. But to have them both now that Xander's out of the picture and Anya is so much better without Xander. It is unbelievable how much better she gets as soon as she loses that dead weight um you know but this relationship i am so much more interested and invested in the relationship between willow and anya than i am between uh, or ever was with anya and xander like willow and anya are the heart of that that relationship for me yeah yeah and they i don't know there's there's so much potential for the two of them to see each other 
in a really interesting way. As powerful women. Yeah. And powerful women who've done some dark shit. Yeah. You know? Um, we have this idea that Willow is going to, she kills Jonathan and Andrew, she'll be destroyed. She'll never come back. Do you know how many people Anya has killed? Right. How many Angel killed? Like, there's always a way back. It's going to be a fight. But there's always a way back. Faith. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's there's always a way back for people who are sorry and acknowledge what they've done and try to make good and come back you, you can come back from it you know um and uh, and so it's interesting because we see this with jonathan and andrew yeah. the least interesting part of this i you know i've always liked jonathan and andrew i've always found them fun i find tom link and danny strong charming and i am i'm not gonna lie i suspect that a great deal of my affection for jonathan and andrew comes down to the actors playing these characters much more than the characters themselves mm -hmm. uh jonathan has basically worked my last fucking nerve since superstar you know um <laughs> and uh his weakness of character that allows him after the events of Superstar to have learned fucking nothing, you know, and then finally <laughs> yeah. only learn it when it costs the life of a woman. Right. You know, um, it's just yeah, it's it's really irritating. But I love Danny Strong. I think that he's wonderful. I love Tom Lank. I think that he's wonderful. His performance does a lot for me. But we have this, you know, thing where, um, you know, Tom Lank is trying to figure out a way that he can believe that Warren still loves them. I mean him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and then in the end, when they're escaping, and he Andrew holds the sword to Xander's neck, and then Jonathan comes back at Andrew and says, no, we are going to pay for what we've done. Mm -hmm. There's a moment there where I'm like, all right, Jonathan, this is where you begin. Yeah. You know, this is where it starts. Um, and I find that more interesting than all of the nerd jokes and nerd shit, you know? Um, I, I like that moment for Jonathan, but I'm so tired of both of them at this point and excessively tired, more tired in this watch than I have ever been. Uh, because my patience for this kind of character and the real people upon which they're based has seriously fucking waned in recent years. And when I say the people upon which they're based, like, I'm not talking about nerds. Xander's, you've never even had just a little bit of sex is so misplaced because nerds get lots of sex. Xander's a nerd. He had Anya. I mean, for God's sake, you know, um, what's wrong with Jonathan Andrew is not their nerdery. It's their excess of white privilege and male privilege, which curdles into white entitlement and male entitlement, which are two different things and which when mixed together become deadly fucking dangerous. And both of which are just not funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. I like in this episode that they are finally waking up a little bit to what's really mm -hmm. going on. Yes. I do love Andrew's little rap about yeah you really think that willow's gonna stop <laughs> you know like I, his, yeah. it's wonderful like, it's very very written and it's very silly but he's his observation is correct that like no like i don't think you understand quite the level of of power mm -hmm. that this woman has and then that moment at the end from jonathan is great yeah like no you're we are gonna do our time when this is over yeah you pray finally like, finally jonathan is doing what i would hope he would have done after the events of superstar yeah i mean people figure shit out when they figure it out right yeah. like it mm -hmm. 
And we... But it's forgivable. I mean, this is the thing. Like, he can redeem himself. It's yeah. a lot of work, but you can do it. So the yeah. idea that Willow is going to destroy herself. Yeah. You know, um, if Willow's going to destroy herself from killing Andrew and Jonathan, then she's already destroyed herself by killing Warren. And it's a little bit of a moot point at this yeah. point, you know? Yeah. Um, so all of that, you know, and I just, I just feel like, if you don't mind... I would really like to just get the stench of Jonathan and Andrew out of the air by relighting the Anya scented candle for just a minute. Um, <laughs> the Anya scented candle. The Anya scented oh, candle. All right. Um, what does it smell like, though? Slug? Oh, <laughs> smells. It smells like slug. You know it, it might, does. She it loves might smell those things. It, it might smell like slug. Um, <laughs> but I love her. I love her power. I love her competence. I love her knowledge. I love her courage. I love when she dead eyes Willow and says, all right, I'm going to keep reading this until you kill me, but you're going to have to kill me to stop me. Um, I love her rushing to um, Jonathan and Andrew to try to save them, talk to the police. She's teleporting all over the place. She's like, what's coming is real and it's scary and it's dangerous and we got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, She, I love the way that she talks to Xander when they have their little conversation that wasn't vengeance. It was solace. Yes. Um, Best line. Best line. Oh, my God. It's so great. I love her. This is the Anya. You know, Anya, she's been a comedy mule for so long while she was attached to Xander. Um, But here she is now, and she is competent and complete and fully realized and badass. And I just I love her so much she she quickly becomes one of my favorite characters on the whole show ever as soon as she dumps xander yeah yeah i love that she pulls the the key to the okay so we've got a box right with a magic book in it or a counter Uh magic book with it that is in a locked box i love (laughs) that the key is in the cash register Anya is saving us with the cash register once again. Of course she is. Being very much herself, even, mm-hmm. you know, even though we've moved away from haha Anya likes money. Yeah. Like she mm-hmm. still is herself. Um and while you were while you were raving about Anya, something occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Part of the part of the connection between Anya and Willow I I wonder if part of it might be this, you know, Anya has killed who knows how many people Mm -hmm. when she says she, so she comes, she comes to the the jail and she just breaks it down for Andrew Mm -hmm. and Jonathan. And she says of, of Willow, you know, she's, she's telling them what Willow did to Warren. And she Mm -hmm. says she killed him, ripped him apart and bloodied up the forest doing it. Except that she didn't do that. Willow didn't do that. She cleaned mm-hmm. up after herself. She she did. She incinerated him and sent him straight to hell where he belongs, you know, before <laughs> vanishing without a trace. But I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Is Anya projecting a little bit? Is she seeing a little bit of herself in yeah. Willow? And that's why the connection, that's part of the connection with Willow. It's not just me drawing the connection between them. It's mm-hmm. Anya sees... Right. A connect- I don't know. I don't know. But and I- why is Anya still there? Why is Anya helping them? I mean, I know she loves the magic box, but she's a vengeance demon. Now she's got a job. She's clearly got a lot of traveling to do. She's got <laughs> she's got vengeance to perform. Um, she has her demon life back 
why is she st- I mean I know she's still here delight armor but like why is she as a character motivated to still be here fighting this fight with these people right it's a great question and do you know, I'm not sure yeah. we ever get a real answer to it do we I think I think we do in season 7 I think we do in season seven. Don't um, remember. Season get... seven is a blur for me. So that's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is going to be really, really fun. There's a fabulous episode called Selfless where we explore Anya quite a bit more. And I think we get the answer to that question then, but we don't have it now. Um, but as long as we're talking about characters, yes. the one character that in the end is always kind of the afterthought for me, at least while doing the script is, oh, yeah, what's going on with Buffy? <laughs> what is going on with Buffy in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you talk to me a little bit about Buffy and her really bad listening skills. Buffy with the no listening skills. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm going to come back to this scene at Rax again, because Mm -hmm. that is just I mean, that's that's my scene. Yeah, it's an (laughs) anchor scene in this episode. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Buffy over and over again. I mean, Buffy tells Willow that she meaning Willow doesn't want this, that she'll Mm -hmm. lose herself. We talked about that. Yeah. But Willow has been very clear that that's the point like willow knows what she's doing Mm -hmm. but buffy seems to want i mean i talked about this a little bit already that buffy seems to want willow back Mm -hmm. but willow doesn't want that willow back right so who gets to say who you are authentically except you Mm -hmm. i mean buffy Buffy is talking to Willow in that scene like Will as though Willow is unclear about where right. all of this is headed. Mm-hmm. But Willow has spoken very clearly to Buffy about what has happened that you know yeah. the the point almost is to lose herself. Mhm. Yeah. So because she's lost Tara, which in a way you know, was the the acknowledgement of herself that she wanted. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Buffy, then Buffy is is telling Willow what she wants and where her, you know, where her place in the world is. And it just drives me crazy because I I understand. I mean, I understand that Buffy's strength isn't listening and heart and holding space. Buffy's strength is strength. Yes. But Buffy's words carry this extra weight, and I bounce so hard off of her telling Willow, who is mm-hmm. ostensibly her best friend, who Willow really is. Right. It just, it drives, I don't like Buffy in this episode. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think it's really interesting because as you're talking, I'm like, oh my God, how much better would this be? Right? Okay, we've had this whole, we've had this whole season of Buffy's Depressed, and we are... Uh, separated from Buffy because Buffy's not feeling anything. So we're not connecting with her because that's how we connect with characters is by feeling what they feel, you know, empathizing Mm -hmm. with them, seeing through their vulnerability. And she is very much running away from her vulnerability. We're not really seeing it. She's very shut down. She's very mechanical. Uh, She's Buffy cop, right? Yeah. Um, But here's this moment though, like, and again, like, the re- your rewriting of the dawn scene, I think, is so beautiful and would have been so interesting and so crunchy. But as you're saying this, I'm like, yeah, but Buffy, Buffy's about protection, right? I She's mean, not about ostensibly, ostensibly. Oh, I mean, like you know, the, textually through the text, right? As soon as somebody can't hurt anybody anymore, like Angelus, you know, she killed Angelus because Angelus had to go to hell in order to, 
you know, stop a Catholic from sucking the world into hell at the end of season two. But if he had just come back, if Angel had just come back, even though he'd done all these horrible things as Angelus, she would put her sword down, right? Um, Spike gets a chip. She puts her sword, I mean, her, her stake down, you know, with Spike, right? Again, delight armor, but textually within the story, um, you know, it's because Spike can't hurt humans anymore. Her job is to protect humans from demons, right? So now we have Willow has killed Warren, right? And that's done. She mm-hmm. can't, you know, protect Warren from Willow anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but here are two humans and she has to protect them. So if Ex- Buffy had... Except that she flat out says to Jonathan, I'm not protecting you. Yes. She says, I'm not protecting you. And I'm like, wait a second. So exactly. there's... So, okay. So Buffy is about protection, but also there's some like hierarchy of who is deserving of protection right that's where it goes wrong this is what i'm saying oh okay. this is what okay. i'm saying i'm I, saying i'm saying let's skip to the that. end sorry no, no 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 i was saying it wrong because i'm saying about what buffy has been about prior to this right and that's how we fuck that up in this episode gotcha. because where she should be is i have a sacred responsibility to protect humans, even weaselly pieces of garbage like the two of you. Mm-hmm. And I am now going to have to go up against my best friend and one of the people I love most in the world to protect you two. So shut the fuck up, right? That she has a job to do. And now Willow is forcing her to do that job against Willow. And if Buffy had gone into that scene saying, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. Please don't make me stop you. I have to stop you. I don't have a choice. I love you. I understand your pain. All of this stuff. If she had connected with Willow instead of going into, and again, like the episode that I'm talking about in season seven, where she goes into Buffy cop mode, she does that with Anya too, you know? Yeah. Um, And I would have loved to have seen her wrestling with that internal conflict between her love for Willow her agreement that Warren and Jonathan and Andrew are terrible and fuck them, right? You know, yeah. um, because Warren and Jonathan and Andrew also took Tara from Buffy, you know, from yeah. all of them. And there's grief to be involved there. To see Buffy at this point, especially after a season of walking through that depression with her, that it is her love for Willow that brings her out of that where she connects with her emotions in this moment with Willow. Finally, instead of just being tough, quippy, I'm going to kick your ass, bitch, right? Mm-hmm. Don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. You know, it's killing me to to do this with you, you know, if we had attacked, if we had gone to that space with Buffy, you know, I think that I would have been more interested in Buffy in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, and there's not a lot of payoff for Willow's whole mm-hmm. taunting of Buffy about, you know, you yeah. didn't want to come back. Like Willow, Willow telling on herself really about like, I brought you mm-hmm. back and you're miserable. Yeah. You don't want to be here. There's, there's that whole that just drops we don't address that at all but that's kind of an interesting discussion to be had though because that's what Buffy has been about this whole season is I don't want to be here yeah you know and if she's like I want to be here now I want to be here with you yeah I want to be here now and I want you here with me yeah (laughs) yeah exactly you know exactly I need you here with me I can't do this without you that the relationship between Buffy and Willow isn't about I want old Willow back 
You know, it's like, well, I want yeah, to come back to be here with you. Yeah. You know, I mean, that could have been, I want me back. Yeah. Right. I can't yeah. be me without you, Willow. Like yeah. that would have been a wonderful thing, you know, to like really work these relationships. And instead we kind of go to tropey damsel hero stuff. Yeah. Well, and to then explore that complexity, right. Of yeah. Willow thinks Buffy is saying, I want you to go back to being not powerful yeah. and not in the spotlight and not magical and not in love. Yeah. You know, like Willow thinks that because she is hurting and she's mm-hmm. going to hear everything through the lens of hurting. And Buffy is saying, I want to go back to feeling connection with you. Yeah. You know, again, mm-hmm. we need oh, so much opportunity it's for so connection much. that we miss. How much better would that have been? I mean, you know, the thing with this episode is that it is an act two, right? We have yeah. it's a three-part story between villains, two to go, and um, and grave, which we'll get to next week. Um, and this is the middle act, the second act sag. You always have that, you know? Um, and the thing is, is because, you know, the, the first act starts all the action, right? So that's exciting. And the third act resolves everything So you get that satisfaction from it. And the second act just kind of keeps it going and keeps it escalating. But had and that can sometimes be a little saggy. But when you build in not just escalating danger from Willow being so badass and so angry, but also like escalating emotional stakes and really clearly laying those emotional conflicts, you know, what happens Mm -hmm. when you have to go up against somebody who you love and how much Buffy loves Willow. I think is something that needs to be expressed here, which we're not expressing. You know, we're saying I'm protecting her from herself, which is a really patronizing way of looking at what Willow's going through, you know, Um, as opposed to I have to do this because I have to do this. And you assholes are the reason why I have to go up against my best friend. Shut up. You know, that would have been really nice. Yeah. Well, and that's a great way to escalate, right? Because each season we're building each big bad sort of builds mm-hmm. until season five when we go up against a literal god. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, where do you, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We take on we take on something that is even more potent and powerful, mm-hmm. and that is our relationships with yeah. our best friends. Mm-hmm. Relationship season. Good it's Lord. It's relationship season. But like, yes. But I don't feel it. I don't mm-hmm. feel the... I I miss my best friend vibe so much as I feel the I am mad at you for using your addictive substance again. Like it's it's the you know, I think it's Mitch Hedberg who says that alcoholism is the only disease that you can get yelled at for having. (laughs) It's like we're just we're we ostensibly love Willow so much that we can't let her use the magics. But. What, it's really like, oh, we're just, I'm so mad that I have to go, like, deal with my best friend who's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's Buffy's kind of pouty <laughs> about the whole thing. I don't. Buffy's I, not wonderfully written this season. It's um, such a bummer. We, it did not have to be Buffy. this way. She's, uh, I mean, she's essentially, you know, being the conflict vending machine at this point, you know, and it's such a disappointment because there's so much more that could have been so interesting. Uh, Writing a depressed character is difficult, but if they had done it, 
you know, and and then had Willow needing Buffy be what brings Buffy back, that her love for Willow is what finally reconnects her with herself. Um, that could have been really interesting because this season just doesn't have a center. You know, Buffy's usually the center, yeah. um, but she's not now. And so it's 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 definitely challenging, but I think there's things that they could have done, which would have been really, really nice. But given the episode that we got, which had none of those things, what's your favorite part? <laughs> this all would have been nice. And since we got none of it, what do you like about what we actually got? No, I love it. There's got to be a bright side somewhere. No, I mean, for for... All of the for all of the um, subtextual homophobia, I like Willow telling us the truth about herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am obviously irritated with how that plays out, but I love yeah. I love Willow's clarity on who she is. And oh God, when she switches from talking about herself in the third person, oh, yeah. the only thing Willow was ever good for. And then she pauses and she says, the only thing I had going for me were the mm-hmm. moments, just moments, when Tara would look at me and I was wonderful. And that will never happen again. I just, it breaks oh. my heart. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so real. I, oh, it's a heartbreaking favorite part, but it's my favorite part. Yeah. No, definitely. That is really, really good. I um, think I know your favorite part based <laughs> on what I know about you and what you love about this show. But what is your favorite part? Lug smelling candle. Yeah. Give me that. (laughs) Give me that Anya. Give me that Anya finding her power, finding her purpose, no longer subsuming everything she is and everything she wants down to this 1950s ideal of becoming Mrs. Xander Harris. I love it. I love that they like they turn her around so fast and she's no longer a comedy mule. And it's badass. And I love, love, love this Anya. And I'm so glad we got her. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our March producers, Stephania, Shelly, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our power producers, these things are real. They're dangerous. And they're coming. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or run and hide. That's our brilliant plan. (laughs) We'll be back next time with Grave, the 22nd episode of season six. Until then, you boys like magic, don't you? Abracadabra. Abracadabra.